Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Shaman Hawk. I met Shaman Hawk on Hallover Beach in Miami, which is another story that one day we'll do an episode on Hallover Beach. And he also talks about the idea of meditative swims as part of the awakening of doing shamanism. But I was drawn to him because he had something about him. And I really believe that when we are able to tune in, we have something that we need to allow to happen. And you'll hear this in this interview. Let's hear it from Shaman Hawk. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Hawk. How are you today after the mishaps I've given you? <laughs> Problem. I'm all good here. Good. Yeah, you're a pretty centered man. And I love the fact that as I've been calling you Shaman Hawk, you don't need to be called that because I always like to say that people that are spiritual guides don't need to be called that. They just are. So welcome. And I want to talk about open nesting first and then maybe another time get more into some of your specialties around sex magic and and the and the and your peace project but let's spend just a short 20 minutes together on what is it that you feel as this generation and your children that I want you to give us a background on have brought you into this world as they grew it's a big question i don't expect a short answer but let's talk about your personal feeling of having had these children, raised these children, and that opportunity that that offers. At this time, I have four daughters. I had five. One died when she was 17. Gravity. Um, three Gravity? Are adults. Gravity? Yeah. She was a mountain climber. Oh, wow. Um, so three of my remaining daughters are adults. And I have one 18-year-old in Miami. Two of them are mothers. Uh, they grew up in shamanism. Uh, the uh, the three living, the three females, adults. Uh, the other one and their mother was also shamanic, so they had that. And you you just like you can have a, a parent, one be an engineer, one be an artist, have two kids. One's really good at math. One's really good at art. You know, you tra- transmit that through there. They they do not want to be in the public life of shamanism because they like daddy there's too much crazy stuff out there but they use it in their everyday world um, the oldest one was a is a paramedic a firefighter uh, in the in florida uh, the second one is a dive medic uh, underwater deep sea welder uh, she used her shamanic skills to pass her nighttime uh, navigation test without a flashlight underwater at dark uh, <gasps> And to survive when she was under a barge that was sinking on her and during one commercial diving job um, on how to get out from that. Um, the other one is a jet pilot. Um, she was really good with horses, problem horses when she was a kid. She used her shamanic skills like that. Uh, the other, the youngest one, my teenager, is a just a wild child in Miami. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> 
So, so sh- be, becoming a shaman, and we're not going to get deep into the, the wisdom of it yet, but I do want you to touch on how that personal journey was in your life, and then obviously how it's been impacting. Actually, what drew me to you was what you said to me what, at some point about one of your daughters. All of my daughters wanted to just do even better than me. Like one was going to be a pilot better than me, then I was a pilot. Like take passing this generation. So I'm curious what your journey was compared to who they are both. First of all, with me, my mother was in the army. My father was in the air force and I was in the Marine Corps. So we, I grew up in a militarized home and I passed that along. Uh, It's efficient. And um, so they were very militarized growing up as kids. And so the other thing is... Well, you have you know, to define militarized. Efficient, meaning disciplined? Very disciplined, very organized, very efficient. You know, my mother used to give me and my brother military inspections on our bedroom that make our bed every day in the morning and so on. And I did that with my kids. Um, so they grew up very organized and so on. And also to achieve, to prove themselves. You know, your proof is in your actions. And, you know, strive for excellence, effortless perfection. And they did that. And you do that because, you know, life is a sharing thing, but it's also competitive. Even plants compete for sunlight and water. And but you doesn't mean that you have to be greedy, you know, unchecked greed. Greed is a little bit good. It helps you survive. You know, you want to eat, too. But they're also very loving and compassionate, sharing. My oldest daughter invites people in for Thanksgiving. When we had snowmageddon a couple of years ago. My This daughter here I live with was offering firewood, uh, hot showers. We're a prepper home, so we have backup generators and water and stuff like that. So they're really in, community. In Texas. You're in Texas? Central Texas, North mm-hmm. Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, and this they're not religious, they're spiritual, meaning that you, you walk the talk, you know, so, and, uh, and they train their children the same way. So you went from the military to how did you enter this world of being a shaman and meet your then wife or their mother? I'd be curious. Uh, I, I started shamanism at a very young age and I finished my apprenticeship in the Marine Corps. How did and you so find the, it? How'd you find, and what, how would you define it? Uh, in the family. I mean, I was talking to people who apparently had been dead for a long time out in the forest. I didn't know that they were not there. Um, and I got by some of the elders, they pulled me in and we do a screening. And then finally there's a tryout period and then there's the apprenticeship. And then there's a two year journey after the apprenticeship to prove yourself in your shamanism. And then we do the old-fashioned thing where we pierce each other, or get pierced through the chest and strung up for the night to go talk to the goddess. And then after that, poof, you're a shaman. You know, pretty simple. <laughs> it doesn't sound like poof to me, but you, so we were born with it. Will you explain to me, like, is it like, is like, like, um, like the Dalai Lama was born with something when he was four? Is it like that? No, because um, I take people through apprenticeships that weren't born with it. They have inclinations towards it. Um, Most people, I tell the the shamans that went through the apprenticeship, I tell them that, you know, don't get frustrated because people um, sign on with you a little while then quit. 
because because there's so much social programming that you're bombarded with the the people who don't fit in society or don't really adapt to that are the ones that turn out to be like the best shamans okay so you don't have to be born into it but you would have that inclination towards wanting the seeing behind the scenes of life we say peel back the horizon you know and look behind it and so that's how i was lucky enough to have some family members from four different sides meaning two sides of different native american and two of uh, celtic and juridic so i got a really nice apprenticeship like that and then plus i grew up all over the world you know and any countries i went to for some reason we call it the flow the shamanic flow pulls you towards other shamanic people in that country and then just exchange knowledge um so you know i, I would tell people when they well i, I don't want to keep going on please we're going to do some no, i do i do want to hear i do want to hear what you tell people about how they can know that we can that there's there is actually you mentioned this to me proof on the physical plane that we need to peel this back like so how do you help people see and know that that's one of the most important questions first off i have to feel i have to interject this when you're looking for the teacher there's a very very fine line between the shamanic leader and the cult leader and the difference is is the spiritual leader whether it's shaman or otherwise, wants you to be you and unique under yourself. That's when you're going to be the greatest community service provider. Uh, the cult leader will want you to follow an agenda or a doctrine or dogmatic system. But what I help people do is one of the first exercises you can do is really when you're looking at a perception or, or something, a belief system, ask yourself, is this really how I feel about it? Or is this an opinion that was given to me and I just accepted it? Because when we have a tendency to search for information, unfortunately, we have a tendency to get the first answer and hold that one as the truth. And that may not always be true. Um, I have a couple exercises that I give people that they just are kind of blown away with. One of them is make your own divination set, you know, your own tarot cards, your own rune sets or whatever. And it becomes a mirror into yourself to find your truth. Because what you're actually doing is making imagery from your right brain, which has no language, you know, sequencing or time. And then it allows you to give something that your left brain can read about your inner truths. And people are just like, wow, I can't believe, you know, the results I get from this and so on. And then a lot of times they stop because they have to let their physiology catch up. So your mind can make a change like that. You know, but your physiology has to adapt to that. And that, that takes the, you know, we're, we're living in a time constant, decided we're influenced by our sun and this solar system and our physiology is dictated by that. Um, well, I'm already getting too deep in it. Yeah, no, I, I love this intro because it's so evocative for us to start thinking and feeling and and letting shedding shedding and as like an onion like getting under and we don't have the answers to how so i'm very curious to just start asking the questions and this is what this was about and i was drawn to that and i think our any audience member anyone knows that their soul is not being satisfied you know given its real 
self-expression. And if there's so much frustration in the world and so many therapists that I would, I actually started thinking about what you said as what therapists call internal family systems, like the tarot cards, like if it makes me look at all of my parts, do you think that's something similar to start? Like when you do those, like what are all the parts of myself so that I can start looking in the mirror deeper? It, it is. And let me go back to your onion explanation. It's really good because when people start their spiritual journey, we have to look at the onion. The outer layers are thick and clearly identifiable. But as we get closer to our core, those layers, they're distinct layers. You know, they formed it through their own process, but they become less distinguishable. So in the beginning of the spiritual journey, whether it's through the mirroring, the, the, um, the tarot cards or whatever process, the bigger changes are very obvious. But go, like again, going out into the description of the onion, you can keep going through all the changes, but then it seems like I don't really feel like anything's changes. It is. And you have you won't know that until you get to the core. So that's where the discipline, consistency, and focus is really important and has to be guided and, and encouraged by your spiritual leader, not again the cult leader type. So once it, you yeah, go ahead. once you start seeing that yes, with this person and this process, I'm making progress that I see proof of on the physical plane because my life is changing in a positive way but then even though it doesn't feel like it because you started off with these big noticeable changes you still have to continue okay until you get to that port like you when you get in there and now you're in that inner peace and stillness and you'll know when you're there you're like okay this is what he was talking about now we can now you can learn but all before that through most have at least half of an apprenticeship it's all deprogramming. You know, how many how many people do you feel like, not just if they don't have an apprentice, even have the ability to get to that full, full silence? It sounds like an unattainable thing when I think about it. No, no. Resistance is what makes it difficult and unattainable because of the security. We're pack animals as human beings, you know besides your, you know, <laughs> sigmas and so on. But we don't, one of our biggest fears, you know, is, is rejection because in our early days of humanity, that meant death. You know, you don't want to be rejected by the tribe or the clan leaders and so on. So that's still a fear, but it's a false fear these days. You know, they no longer burn us as a stake, at least in the United States anymore. You know, they, but it, it is attainable. Um, I, at the average, I tell my apprentices and my new shamans is like, well, one in a thousand, you know, will actually come to you for an apprenticeship and maybe one in 500 will actually finish. Because it's not that the training is overwhelming. The difference of perspective between the result of years, a lifetime of programming and then real humanity. And when I describe real humanity, it's like when I do these energy healing circles for people. And then when they start to see that, like, wow, we're just thinking about this person and they came back with their cancer results as negative and so on. Um, you know, and the doctors say, well, it must have been the defective equipment. And they say, these things are miracle. I'm like, no, this is normalcy. 
this is humanity. This is what makes us special on this planet, you know, as a species. It's just that that got covered up by all the other programming, you know, for thousands of years. Because people who wanted to control the masses said, no, no, we can't share this. We don't want this to get out. We're actually, we, we have all the technology and resources that make paradise on Earth. Absolute paradise on Earth. And it wouldn't take that much, you know, to do. And the one thing that they really don't want to have is like, like the hundredth monkey effect on the shamanic or spiritual level to where you get enough people that are deprogrammed, woke up enough, you know, true woke, you know, not what you see these days, but... And then all of a sudden there'll be that critical mass and flash. Then one day people wake up and like, oh, I get it now. And then you can't stop it after that. And that's why we can you know, keep persisting to do the work that we do, hoping we can hit that critical mass and have people wake up one day and go, okay, uh, I want to be human. You know, in the truest sense of the form. And that's what shamanic journey is about. Um, it, it, you know, I started off with the traditional form, the mythologies and, and all the customs and so on. But realistically, um, you know, you talked about the sex magic. Two of the women that uh, I had worked with probably in the best capacity were chemical engineers. You know, so they would look at and two of them, very, very different women. The other one that I worked with was a civil engineer. So you had that real passionate part that was real earth connection the creative connection from the feminine side with an academic mind you know and they can really make the association and one of the chemical engineers and you should interview her phenomenal work with women uh with obsidian eggs and i'll let her describe that you know but bringing out the healing the feminine that way again she's a great shaman you know in her own right um so this is all such for me like the this excuse me this enticement of how much there is to learn this is so just touching on such the you know tip of the of maybe fire bringing it in so i i don't want to go much further because i feel like i just want to ask you what's present for you that right now maybe a message you'd like to leave for the end of this particular interview well i'd like to touch on that comment what you just said that there's so much to learn 25 years ago i was 40 and i thought the same thing and then i realized when i look at the animals that like know when to leave a mountainside before it blows up from a volcanic eruption or or how to leave because they know that area is going to be hit by a hurricane but the weather says no they didn't learn they're allowing, they're allowing themselves to be permeable to the information. And see what the program creates is static energy. And then you just can't allow, you know, you don't even know this stuff's out there. You know, and so it's again, there's it, we get programmed to think we have to learn, but that's not true. Allow would be the big spiritual word. Allow the deprogramming process, allow the information, and allow yourself to respond the way your heart feels you should. You know, and that's about, that's being the human part. Um, I actually think that that is the most beautiful thing to leave this with in a short period of time, because I want to come back to it with you. And I'm so glad we got the technology to somehow work, but 
Thank you for your patience with me. It would be interesting if there was just some aspect that somebody could have said that would just open that window at a time and we're having that little tech burp, you know. But yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to reschedule with you another time now that we know that this works. And, we, and thank you deeply for your time. Sure. So stay on for a minute. So this interview uh, makes me pause because it que- we bring up so many why. questions and almost like you know how the, uh, when you throw a, a pebble into very soft, mm-hmm. quiet, so- yeah. silent waters versus a boulder into noisy waters, it has so much impact. And so the idea of of how do we get to that place of silence and peace is not something that we can easily or like he says at the end learn. Right. And it, it's so many layers to un, un to to get to li- like get more to this core of what we are authentically in our in our real human animal. I'll tell you, I mean, getting to that point requires so much discipline, and I'm sure that his military background really contributed to that discipline to allow himself to learn that deep knowledge that he needs to literally uh, what he called a survivalist. Uh, so. I, I salute this guy for for the discipline because I know what it takes, knowing military and knowing being in military. I know what it takes to be a, a survivalist like that, and he used that to educate himself and even his children uh, that have went on to achieve a great, incredible physical endurances is really, I mean, amazes to me. And this is all because of what he taught them as far as discipline concerned. Discipline, and then there's some level of of believing in their natural ability so that they could do something in the dark or they could overcome. Their their intuition can be stronger than, than, than what we physically believe and see. So we're so beyond what we physically can see. And he said something about this belief system idea of once we even believe something, and even if you take the idea of that the physiology has to catch up and adapt, if we believe, let's say I'm going to lose weight, I'm not a little level, they, we believe we're going to uh, work out or, or change a habit or whatever it is, you can make that choice. But if, you're phys- if you don't really have, like you're saying, that physiology to allow your body to adapt, that's a whole nother level. So he brings together this spiritual world with this very physical plane that I found fascinating. I'm fascinating by the discipline. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> just uh, you know, I... I I'm big about disciplines, and you know, and not that I'm the most perfect person, but you know, I know what it takes, and you know, I, I'm just still blown away by the story of his daughter uh, trying to survive uh, diving while there is a whole barge is, uh, sinking on top of her. I, I can't even imagine that in a movie. I, I can't even see that. It's just incredible. And and what what Shaman Hawk is saying is that we all have this human ability, and we were pack animals that that we had fear, and that the fear kept on growing. I mean, look at the technology and the and the conspiracy and the issues we're dealing with now that make people feel even more fearful and and isolated and Correct. and so we become primal based on this big out there global thing rather than connected to what we can do in nature in nature where where, where it's a natural habitat for us right so there's so. just so much more i feel like we can learn and uh, and shaman if you hear this i will get back in touch for a second interview for sure absolutely and i if there if you have questions i did want to say because he didn't put it out there you can find him shaman hawk on instagram he has like 
I don't know, probably 100,000 followers and doesn't seem like this person that's saying, follow me, as you can hear, because there well, is a, a quiet flow confidence about, about him. There is a flow about people who are drawn into doing that spiritual allowing and surrender to to become and to and to I hope like that silent pebble help to make the world slowly grow in circles of light, peace, and love. That is my hope. And I thank you for introducing us to this concept. And if you're already online, check out the Open Nesters podcast website, the Open Nesters, double N in the middle. S at the end. We'd love you to leave us a comment, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you know people who are as interesting or in any way doing something unique to become more vital at this stage of their lives when we are in Act 3 and we're developing ourselves in new ways, please you know, send me an email, put a comment or a guest, guest, uh, guest suggestion on our website. I'm Tessa at theopennesters.com. Yeah, Tessa at theopennesters.com. That's how you find me. And obviously Facebook, we have closed groups. Instagram, we'd love you to follow us. And we thank you because you've been sharing and we've been growing. And that's how the message yeah, is. Seriously, is, is, thank is, you for making us such a, an incredible, popular, and relevant podcast to so many. So until next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we'll see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.